Before we start the show, I want to thank the thousands of you, the thousands who have read This Book Will Make You Dangerous. Many of you have told me that the book's unique way of exploring fear, confidence, and purpose has had a lasting impact, that it's much easier for you to get clarity and direction about what really matters and what you want to do in this lifetime. It's also amazing to hear that quite a few of you have read it multiple times and even bought copies for friends, so thank you again. Just in case you weren't aware, I created a free companion video course for the book. And in these videos, I walk you through the big takeaways and practices from each chapter. And I even cover some extra stuff that's not included in the book. Information on how to access the course is in newer versions of the book. And if you own an older version of the book and you don't know how to access the course, just hit me up via the contact form at triplinear.com and we'll get you all set up. And one last thing, if you're one of the thousands who have already read the book, please consider leaving an honest review on Amazon so that others can decide if it's right for them. Again, thank you so much for reading. This book will make you dangerous. And now let's start the show. You are listening to the new man beyond the macho jerk and the new age wimp. Your host is men's coach, Trip Lemire. If life is a pain in the ass sometimes, does that mean you're doing it wrong? Do you believe you should be in a different place in life other than where you are right now? And do you have someone in your life that challenges you, supports you, and holds you accountable? Philosopher and quintessential optimalist Brian Johnson is back. And today, we discuss what makes our lives harder than they need to be, why our inner critic is never going away, and why he blames me for his $2 million business experiment. First off, it's just I'm just really enjoying seeing you again, man. It's just it's good. It's been a, I'm trying to think of how long it's been a while since we saw each other. A lot's happened for me since then. I mean, my business blew up after one of our conversations, and then I got into this book thing, and you know, took a break. And the house, our house, got attacked by a hurricane and all that kind of stuff. But we're mm-hmm. we're back on it now. So imagine you you've fallen off of things. You look like you've lost about another ten pounds or something. You you got all jacked up now. So. Uh, <laughs> the last few years have been big. Yeah, I don't even know sense of time these days, but it is great to see you, and I'm excited to chat. How is parenting going? You got two now. Parenting is awesome. Seven-year-old, two-and-a-half-year-old. We were just talking about the story from last night, giving my seven-year-old a bath. He's doing the deep clean, really working it. <laughs> the, yearly, the yearly deep clean? Getting himself all clean. I ask him, what's the special occasion? Well, he says, once a year, you've got to make sure you really clean yourself. I'm like, oh, yeah. Wait, well, tell me more about that. Well, you know, every two, if you go two or three years, that, wow, you just get really dirty. So, yeah, celebrating life through the eyes of, of uh, just such sweet, sweet kids. I think I think when I was at that age, I thought like, okay, if, well, if I skip a couple of days brushing my teeth, I can just brush my teeth three more times and then I'm good. I can catch up that way. It's kind of a little magical yeah. way of <laughs> doing it. We're pretty, we're pretty vigilant on the uh, toothbrushing, but we're pretty lax on the overall. Do you need to scrub and dub every single day? Probably not. But anyway, pretty ridiculous. Kids are good. Yeah. So even though it's been a while since we really connected, I've been getting your emails every day. I mean, it's just monster creator. I want to talk about information and information overload because I know for me, at least in my work, 
my mind is like an aquarium. Like I've got to not stimulate it too much in order to do what I do really well. I've got to be able to pay attention and, and listen. I notice when I'm taking in lots of ideas, I tend to, those ideas are floating around in my head. If I'm working with somebody, if I'm coaching somebody, it's like a, Oh, this relates to the thing I just read about yesterday. And now I'm going to bring this in the conference. Sometimes it's helpful, but a lot of times I'm just swimming in these thoughts. I, I wonder, I mean, you've been, how many books have you read in the last 10 years? What are we talking about here? If you had to guess. Mm, I don't know. I've done notes on 550 of them. And uh, yeah, you know, my my chosen career has been, I'm like a miner, you know, I go in and I, I mine for these gems and bring them <laughs> back and hopefully share them in a concise, coherent, practical fashion that synthesizes all these ideas. While more importantly, and most importantly, I should say, embodying them, striving to embody them, and then challenging people to embody them. But I'm with you. I mean, I don't do, as you know, I haven't been an email for I don't know how long. I don't do a smartphone other than a few people, you and a few other friends that have my wife's phone number to, to trade some messages. I won't you know? tell you why I have your wife's phone number, but I'm just, you know, I'm just <laughs> <laughs> another conversation. Um, but it's all inputs. I mean, it's controlling stimuli. I think in our world of, of um, massive overwhelm, uh, of information, we need to be really, really diligent in what comes in. I mean, Thich Nhat Hanh comes to mind as you were describing that. He says you have to digest every piece, every input you have. Your consciousness needs to digest it, whether that's a magazine article or the social feed or the email chain and all that stuff. So I like to keep my mind super clean, super pristine and focused like a beam on whatever I say is most important. So I don't do podcasts. I don't read blog posts. Um, I read books and that's, that's, I go deep and then I pull out what I think is worth pulling out and then I share it. Um, but yeah, I'm couldn't agree more. I think this is actually one of the most, uh, important things we can do for our flourishing, our well-being, for every single thing we want to achieve in our lives to, to discipline ourselves, to systematically control inputs, use technology for what it's good for and absolutely leave the rest uh, for the rat-like behavior that, that is easily spawned with that, you know? Yeah. I was coaching a group this morning, a small group. And, um, the question I had for them is like, what are you, like, what are you tolerating? What's the frustrating thing? And then what are you afraid to say no to? So we just went around and around of like the thing I'm afraid to say no to this. I'm afraid to say no to this obligation. I'm afraid to say no to, you know, marketing meetings. I'm afraid to say no to it. And we just, you know, kind of scale. We can start to see all these, different scenarios where it's like, oh, I hate this thing or this thing drains me, but I'm not going to say no to it. And then we drilled in, okay, well, it's not the meaning that we're afraid to say no. It's what's the, what's the, the other side of it. Oh, I don't want to be uncomfortable. I don't want to create an uncomfortable situation. I don't want to risk giving up money or time or energy or there's a loss. You know, I want to avoid some kind of a loss if I give that up and I don't want to um, disappoint people. I don't want to, you know, uh, not meet expectations. I don't want people to look at me like I'm weird. And so it's really not a no, right? We're saying yes to this is what's more important to me. I feel stronger when I don't do these things. I feel like, like you said, I'm a beam, I'm focused. So I'm, I'm really saying yes to that. And I'm saying no to these things that aren't aligned with that. But if we don't know what's important, then everything's important, right? So we're just constantly consuming and constantly taking things in. It sounds like I, I could imagine throwing it out there like, yeah, okay, why don't you give up your cell phone and why don't you give up computer and blog posts and all the other digital stuff that you do for a month? And in service of the things that actually make you stronger. And that's, the, that's where the commitment to our, wait a second, I got to stay comfortable. I got to avoid that risk. I got to, I got to maintain a, that, that willingness to look good. Was it difficult for you? Because it is hard. It's hard to maintain relationships if you can't, if it's 
you know, there's, there's hoops for people to jump through and that kind of stuff for you. Is it, what's it like saying no to so many other different things so that you can just have a very focused work life, work in uh, personal life? Joyful. <laughs> but, but, but I mean, do you catch, do you catch a hard time from people well, for it? Well, yes. And I mean, yeah. And I, I'm, I think you said it perfectly, which is you need to have a deep enough. Yes. When you have, and Stephen Covey reflects on this and I think it was David Brooks, you know, you need to have a soul aching. Yes. When you have clarity on this is what I feel called to do with my life and with my life force. And for me, it's getting my energy right so I can give it to my work and to my love. My big three, as we describe it in our work, um, it's really important to me. And it's really, really important to me to be, um, the optimist best version of myself in service to the world like that matters to me so i've made decisions that are in alignment with that and even george st pierre i think he said he decided he was going to be the best in the world and when he said that it was insane he was a garbage man and his father literally nearly laughed at him and thought he was just crazy and he committed to being a world champion the absolute best at what he did and then he said he did not make sacrifices. It wasn't a sacrifice to not go partying with the guys on Friday night. He made a decision to be the best at what he did and to fulfill his, what he thought was the most important part of his potential in that part of his life. And then there were no sacrifices. There were decisions. He cut off other things joyfully. And was there pushback? Of course, he had a group of people that were telling him he was a fool for even thinking that and then not going out and partying with him and doing whatever else while he's getting up at whatever time and doing the same exact thing day in and day out. But for me, you know, I burned through enough of that to get to a point where uh, people kind of expect that from me at this stage. You know, it's kind of the yeah. idiosyncratic style. And um, and I've experienced enough joy in it. And I've experienced the difference between when I stay up at night, for example, I used to, you know, on days when I was stressed, or those were the days I would, I would watch things on the phone before I would go to sleep. When I can least afford to do that, get a poorer night of sleep, and then wake up the next day feeling worse. It was a vicious cycle down. And you only need to do that so many times, at least I only needed to do it so many times before I realized that just isn't smart. Mm -hmm. I'd rather wake up, you know, I went to bed at 7.45 last night. I'm pointing at my aura ring right now, right? I'm having fun gaming this thing to see what readiness <laughs> score it can get me. That just got a 98 today out of 100, which if you know aura rings, that's insane. Like, I don't know what that it's is. the highest I've ever gotten. Like, I get great joy out of you know, <laughs> rocking the, the sleep schedule. It's like a sport for me. Like, <laughs> I just, I've just swapped it all, you know? And, and again, you study these things enough and you realize that happiness doesn't come from the stuff that most people are doing. Happiness comes from a deep commitment to the highest version of ourselves and living in integrity with that, whatever that means for us. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I'll leave it What's at that. What's the metric? Cause I, I, you know, I can fall into a trap where I create an ideal in my head and I say, I'm going to be that guy. You know, I'm going to be the, that, the best version of whatever. And it might be, you know, something I, I get a little piece of this that I see out here and a little piece of that. And like, oh, this is where I've been acknowledged and appreciated. So I create this avatar of like, this is my best version of myself. And then in the process of striving to be that guy, I actually am not really happy. There's a, there, because there's a gap usually between the reality of who I am and then this ideal of who I am. So I'm always a little wary of, of some of this idea of like, be the best self, because it sounds a lot like my inner critic of like, you could always be better and you could strive a little hard. You could have played harder. You could have gotten 98%. Why did not 99? Like I can, I can get into that place. Do you ever get in that place where that, that there's a, yeah. there's a critic there that's kind of chapping you for that stuff. And is it yeah, of course. I mean, that's, that's, uh, 
Yeah, so we can go into that deep dive. So I think that there's a there's always going to be those two voices in our heads. So there's the voice that's saying you're not enough and how come you're not doing this and doing that and then bringing us down the road of what I would call kryptonites, you know, engaging in our addictions and all the things that don't serve us. Um, and then there's the part of us that's kind of whispering in our ear and saying, you know what, you're, you're capable of more. And it's not a manic, hey, I need to impress other people. That I would offer is actually your lower voice. That's to use Phil Stutz's language, part X, right? To use Freud's model where you have a healthy ego You've got super ego, which is telling you you should be something that you don't feel you are. And you have the id, impulsive, telling you you should just go F it all and, and literally F it all, right? Mm -hmm. um, I think the healthy ego and the healthy sense of self is one in which we can see, step back and see both of those at play. And then it isn't about, to me, an abstract conception of, of some construct that's, that's part this person and part that person. It's, look, in this moment, we have a choice. We can express a higher version of ourselves or not. And whether or not you do that is going to dictate your joy, not in an abstract sense, but in this moment. So when in the moment we find ourselves criticizing ourselves for not getting a 99 when we got a 98, the, the most logically healthy response would be, and the best response would be, dude, settle down. Are you kidding me? This is amazing. And it's a moment to moment to moment to moment to moment thing um, that requires a ton of, of self-awareness and um, wisdom to know the game you're playing, to have the humility to know that you will never play it perfectly, to work within the constraints of your reality. Um, and then I think ultimately to commit yourself to something bigger than yourself and to step back and say, look, I actually am capable of more than what I'm doing. And that's not a shaming mechanism. That's just a fact of reality that when I do that, I'm not serving myself or my family or the people I say I want to serve. And I can do better. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a healthy level of 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 um, of uh, self-awareness. But again, with everything, there's 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 I'm drawing a, a inverted you right now. Right. Right. So it's Yerkes Dodson, I think is what it's called. Yeah. That inverted you that everything in the world goes on this inverted you where too little of something is not good. Sucks, yeah. Too much of something is not good. There's always a virtuous mean. So what's the healthy level of Right. of desire to express the best version of yourself and know when you're at a spinal tap 11 and need to tune it back mm -hmm. to a healthy, you know, sustainable volume and also know when you've turned it off and yeah. you just decided to, to screw it all, you know? Yeah. You know, for me, I, I, I played that game for a long time with this kind of the, the more that stuff, at least it just didn't work well for me because at least my version of the inner critic was just too harsh. And, uh, but I could come back to my experience of just knowing the difference between feeling like kind of a hedonic, oh, this feels comfortable in the moment versus I feel more expansive here. Like there's just that, that yes that I get of, hey, you know, I leaned in, I did something uncomfortable, but it was in service of my greater yes. That feels, I say, stronger or expansive for me. And I, I've been using that more as a compass of just where do I feel stronger? Where do I feel more expansive? And I, I found that to be a lot healthier for me personally than the more, because man, there's always more, right? Like it's just this never, at least for me, man, that, that voice was just constantly, um, man, why didn't you do this? And why didn't you do that? So yeah, that, that curve, absolutely. And I like having the kind of the backstop of this. Well, what's the, the, in, I call it inner authority, right? That, that kind of inner mechanism that says, ah, this is where I feel more, more me. I feel more whole here. Does that resonate with you? Yeah. And I would offer that that version of you is what I would call the optimist best version of you. So optimize, which is obviously the name of what I do, 
in our business comes from the Latin optimus, which means the best. It does not mean the perfect, it means the best. And the best is the best within the constraints of reality. But to me that, and I also talk about eudaimonia, which is the obvious juxtaposition to hedonic pleasure, there's eudaimonic pleasure. Right. So this is what Aristotle says is a summum bonum. The highest good is to live with eudaimonia, which literally means good soul. Eudaimon is soul. You is good. EU. Eudaimon, good soul. So he said the whole point of life is to be a eudaimon, to have a good relationship with your soul. So I would offer that this inner authority, that's who who. Who is that authority that's within you? I would offer that's your daimon. This is what all great teachers have talked about. Mm -hmm. So my whole life is about connecting to that daimon. That daimon is no, neither lax nor overly annoying and lame. It's just there. It's just present. And right. we, if we're honest with ourselves, we know when we're expressing the, quote, best version of ourselves, not more or less, just what's what we're capable of being in this moment, right. independent of self-comparison or whatever you know we want to do. Anyway, so for me, that's kind of the ticket. And then he said, look, the number one way to do that is to live with virtue. And the word he used was arte, which is a word we've talked about. The mm -hmm. Greek word for virtue to live with eudaimonia is arte, which is closing the gap between not who you could have been 10 years ago if you had worked hard, or who you could be in 10 years, but right this second. Right. And then the number one virtue he has with that is courage. Courage to do what? Courage to live in integrity with your values, not mine or your mom's or your dad's or society's, but yours. Right. I mean, that's the inner authority exactly. that requires enormous courage to know the difference between the voices yeah. <laughs> and to have the humility to say, I'm not sure right now. Is that fear or is that my well, higher self? Well, I think, our, I think if we pay attention to our experience, I, don't, I like to imagine we've got four, at least four gauges on the dashboard, right? Which is like, okay, am I... To what degree am I feeling free, uh, alive, loving, connected, and at peace, right? And if I, if I know that I don't want to feel trapped, I know that I don't want to feel drained, I know that I don't want to feel isolated, I know that I don't, want to, I don't want to feel stressed out or bored. So if any of those things are showing up, they're, they're a doorway into, okay, what's the conversation? What, what would allow more freedom in my life now? And it's allow, it's not chase or pursue or strive, it's just... Well, what, it might be a conversation like, you know what? I'm not feeling free. I want more freedom. I'm going to allow, what would allow more freedom? I'm going to move some things in my schedule, right? I'm going to cancel this thing. It's not in alignment with my freedom, right? So aliveness. Oh, I'd be more alive if I spoke up and say, hey, hey, honey, I'd like to try this in the bedroom. Oh, shit, right? Like, or more loving. Hey, you know, I want to reach out and, and reconnect with an old friend. I miss that connection, but it's it, it takes some boldness and some risk. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, obviously at peace, peace is different than relief, right? Relief is I take a pill because my tooth hurts pieces. I go to the dentist and get it taken care of. And that's scary. So I think these, the idea here is, is that if we can clue in for me, this is what works. The, those four experiences, I don't know anybody that doesn't want to feel free or alive or loving or at peace. Like that, that feels pretty universal to me. And, and so it's just about, okay, well, if I can maintain a connection to those experiences throughout the day and just see what's weakening me, what's pulling me away from those things or what I'm tolerating. And then I'm always in a position to steer into challenges that would open that or, or find more expansion there. Um, and that just feels way more grounded to me where, where, you know, Oh, I, that's something I can do. That's something I can do today. Instead of it just throughout joy or fulfillment, it's so kind of out there. It's, it seems so euphoric and, you know, somewhere else, but, but those things I feel like I can, 
I can handle. Does that resonate? Does that make sense? Because that's, that's yeah, essentially what my book's I mean, about. There's, a, there's an infinite number of ways to cut all of these truths. Yeah, obviously, yeah. ultimately, it comes down to what resonates. You know, um, that's it. And to go back to the initial part of of the conversation, it's very easy, and I certainly have experienced it, like you have, of too much pushing and not enough, going too far on that little inverted. Uh, you, right? And and grinding away and losing the eudaimonic joy. Exactly. You know, and it is no longer joyful. I'm Absolutely. Pushing too hard. Yeah. Not- yeah. But that but that itself is part of the experience. So I've let go of the naivete that it should all be easy and it should always, always feel good. It and won't be easy embrace, if you walk that path, right? You're gonna be taken. Embrace that, then I've gone to a different level. And I'd rather go through that then come up to it and say, oh, no, that whole self-development and trying to be your best self game isn't worth playing. No, 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 I just didn't play it well enough. So I've got to be willing to ask my questions, whether it's through your four dashboard metrics or I use a big three of energy, work, and love and all these different things. Well, whatever the orientation is, be honest with yourself and have the courage to look in in the mirror and say, no, that's actually addictive behavior. And that's a a lack of freedom due to my compulsive behavior. Uh And I'm committed to living in a manner that's in integrity with my inner authority, my highest self, whatever you want to call it. So I'm going to change that behavior. It's not going to be easy. And I'm probably going to want to slip back and I'm going to do the work I need to do because that's ultimately going to be the source of my long-term joy, not continuing to make compromises or telling myself a story that, Blah, 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 blah. Yeah. When we touched on the inner critic a little bit ago, I got, I, I saw where it was like an opening into something else. I'm curious, it, it, it doesn't get talked about a lot in the personal growth stuff. It's, it's this iceberg kind of thing. Like it might show up here or there, but it seems at least in the work that I'm doing with people, so much of what gets in the way or what's driving them, or, you know, it's, it's just a big part of like, let's get this inner critic, this not enoughness or whatever that need to prove, let's get it out in the open, at least so we can just befriend it and keep an eye on it. And, and it's not going to grab our ankle and pull us down when, when we least expect it. Uh, um, what role has it played uh, in your life? I mean, how, what's, how does, how does the inner critic show up in your life even today? Cause I think there's a part where people are thinking, I'm going to get good enough at this and then I won't have an inner critic anymore. It'll, it'll let me go. And I want to kill that, that idea. Cause I, I just, yeah. I mean, does it still show up in your life? And if oh, so, of how it, so? Of course. I mean, so there's the general and then there's the specific several things come to mind. I mean, this is Joseph Campbell comes to mind. Phil Stutz come to mind as it, as it relates to my own personal experience. So Joseph Campbell says the good life is one hero's journey after another. By definition, the hero's journey requires you to leave your comfort zone, essentially the land of the known and enter the forest at the darkest point. And he says a good life is one hero's journey after another, which means that you need to continually spiral up and go from the comfort to the unknown again and again and again. And by definition, leaving your comfort zone is uncomfortable. Now, if you don't know that, then you're going to tell yourself a story that something's wrong with you because you feel inadequate, unup to the challenge. When you know it, you adopt a Ray Dalio, Bridgewater Associates you know, wrote the book Principles, he calls it a mistake learner's high. You get so excited about the unknown and ambitious visions of what's possible that when you fail, you get excited about it. You get high on that because it gave you data. So again, when you're on the hero's journey, you're not sidestepping lizards. I'm sure I've used that phrase in one of our past chats. You're fighting dragons. So then to connect that back to Phil Stutz, he says you will never be exonerated. And if there's one thing that leads to the most suffering, it's the story that you shouldn't be suffering. It's the story that you should be so evolved at this point in your life that you no longer experience any of these pain. I must be doing it and, wrong. 
You yeah, know, that's so the voice that comes in. I must be doing it wrong if I'm if yeah, I've got this going. And I on. used to have that so bad that I wanted to end my life. I mean, that's how bad I was mm-hmm. twenty plus years ago, mm-hmm. right? And again, you look at my lineage. My my dad had his challenges. His dad killed himself, and I know that we shared you know some some challenging background family history. Mm-hmm. I know what that's like, and so for me, it's been a systematic process of noticing that. And then as you know, my big thing is fundamentals. So I think you can get into a really complicated, abstract, archeological dig about all the reasons we're messed up and then all the reasons why we still face it. Or we can say, hey, look, that's common humanity one-on-one part of life. And then what are we doing on a most basic physiological level, eating, moving, sleeping, that's making it harder to win? Mm-hmm. And that's where I ruthlessly focus in my life and in my work with, with our community of, of people at Optimizes. Dial these things in, you know, your, your gut produces 90% of your serotonin. You want to feel good. You want to feel less anxiety, quit eating sugar, quit eating refined flour. You're going to change your, your overall chemistry in significant ways. You want to go from despair to hope, get a good night of sleep, dude. Turn off your electronics an hour or two earlier. See how you feel the next day. I get day. these guys coming in and they're like, I get these guys coming in and they're like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm upside down on this survival. I was like, well, let's look at your life. And it's like, yeah, and I don't sleep. I eat like crap. I don't hang out with my friends. I'm not, it's just like, well, where's the expectation that you would feel great right now? Like you could have everything lined up. It's like, why would you expect, you know, alcohol commercial and social media posts? That's, that's the expectation. Our society is so off in its pursuit of the hedonic path to joy that, you know, then you just do what everyone else is doing and you feel like everyone else is feeling. I've been on this path with um, brain chemistry over the last few years, like really dialing it in um, and some gut stuff. I mean, I was talking to you about gut stuff that I was struggling with years ago. And um, and I'm curious, other than Julia Ross, she wrote The Mood Cure. Are you, are you familiar with that? I had this one I have not read. You've, you've found one I haven't read. I think Alexander might do I get a, uh, Do I get a prize for that? <laughs> yeah, I think, yeah. <laughs> I'm not enough, Trip. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we got... <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna be all right with that one. <laughs> I'll give you a hug, man. It's all right. Um, yeah, but the, but the the like this connection between certain amino acids and blah 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 in the in the anyway. I, I just it it shows up in our life as like oh, there's something circumstantial happening that this is why I'm feeling a certain level of anxiety. It's exactly what you're talking about, right? And and then there's just things that we're not getting from from our nutrition or or we're not it's not getting in our body. And then amazingly, with really short period of time that it that it turns it around. And I can't imagine how many people's lives would be saved or they'd be off of SSRIs or whatever. And I'm not in a position to diagnose things, but it's just so freaking obvious that, and I don't know why, and I'm like, oh, is this the next book I write? Kind of a layman's guide to brain chemistry because it's so huge. And I don't, I don't think most people pay enough attention to it, but the connection between the crap we're putting into our bodies and then how we actually feel and then therefore view the world. We think that we're view, our experience of the world is a circumstantial instead of a big part, very chemical. I mean, are you, how connected to you or that? We haven't talked about that stuff in a while. So I, I didn't know if, if you uh, had a, head, is, a heads up it. on it. This is it. So as you know, I'm, I'm training coaches right now. We've got our coaches in the, in the program and we literally just spent the last five weeks on our fundamentals. So eating, moving, sleeping, and then I throw in breathing, being present and prospering which literally means to go forward with hope. But eating, moving, and sleeping, is it's not quite everything, but when I, when I draw kind of a symbol for, for actualizing and enjoying life, it's a triangle, Maslow's kind of hierarchy with a circle at the top with 
radiant arrows coming out, you at your best, right? But then I draw a circle on the bottom and I say the foundation has to be strong. And it, it doesn't need to be complicated. Like there's there are 80-20 levers you can pull that are obvious that pretty much everyone knows that just, they're just not doing. So from my vantage point, the challenge is moving from theory to practice to mastery on the most basic, simple things. It requires a level of humility and iconoclasm, really, and courage to do something that's so different than what most people are doing, whether it's no longer, again, eating the sugar and the flour. You do, if you do those two simple things, you would still radically change your life before you even get to the level of amino acid and decide whether you want to be vegan or paleo or keto or whatever. Just do those two things. You want to get a better night of sleep? Well, it's a long conversation, but just do one thing. Turn off your electronics at least an hour before you go to sleep. Get the ball rolling. 80-20, you will feel way better. Uh, and then what do we got? Movement? Again, not moving, Tal Ben-Shahar says, is like taking a depressant, not exercising. John Rady, who I know you've interviewed, you know, it's exercising is like taking a little bit of Ritalin and a little bit of Prozac. Not doing that is like the opposite. Therefore, are you moving your body? But again, not overtraining and not undertraining just the right amount. There are very simple things that when we come back to the whole joy thing, I think with the proper orientation, this becomes fun. It becomes one big game, including the mistakes, including the times we don't do the things we know we quote could have done. Those just become data that we plug into our little video game console and now we know how to beat that level. We don't get pissed when we get killed again. We, oh shoot, I went right, I needed to go left there. And there's a, there's a true joy to the process of being alive and optimizing in service to, to something bigger than yourself. Again, your family, your community, um, whatever it is you feel called to do in the world. Uh, I'll step off the soapbox. Okay. <laughs> get, yeah, get well, fired I think a lot of guys, at least when I talk to them, if they don't have, some of them can even be working some of their fundamentals and there's still this aspect where it, maybe it's through gut health or gut damage or whatever that their their brains aren't getting the right um, the right stuff. So it's pretty fascinating the, what can yeah, be done with a few- then you hit it hard. Then if that's mm -hmm. your issue, then you don't, oh man, I can't believe this person's doing this to me and that person's doing that. You mature to a point that you actually embody the things you know to be true, which is take care of what's within your control, right? And if you've got those issues going on, then go study it at a little deeper right. level. I think that becomes the, the true strength, you know, like educate your inner authority such that there's a match of intuition and rational approach to life and, and mixed with behavioral changes, et cetera. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, not to discount that that's going to do it all, but you will start to see, well, what's the next 80, 20 lever of stuff you can pull. I just, I've, you know, me, I've done so much for so long and I've tested out everything. I might've pulled the most significant lever unintentionally like a month ago I'm reading, you know, my 500 and whatever 60th note, you know, is the longevity diet by Tony Robbins' doctor, Stephen Gundry, right? And he says, look, we're eating too late and you got to eat. He says at least four hours before you go to bed, eat your last meal. And then something called glymph can go through and clean out your brain. And it can't do that if you eat your last meal too late. Now, I, I one area that I knew I needed to improve for a long time. So then I do it and I actually move I go to bed at like at 7.45. So I'm eating my last meal at like 3.30, right? Three o'clock, 3.30, which is insane. Even to me, like that, that just seemed insane. But I'm yeah. like, look, I'll try it. My job is to be a professional optimizer. I'll experiment. Yeah. I wear this little aura ring and overnight, my resting heart rate goes down nearly 10% and my heart rate variability goes up nearly 30%, both of which are really powerful measures of your recovery and the quality of your 
of your sleep. I continued the experiment and it's been insane. So again, there's this, this joyful, okay, what's the next lever? And right. what's the next lever? And you don't do it from a Abraham Maslow's deficiency need. I'm not enough. You do it from a beingness need. I want to see how much I can become. Mm-hmm. Not because I hate myself, but because I love myself. And there's, a again, a joyful spiraling up. And each mistake becomes more data that the system can use to write better algorithms, not to shame yourself into giving up, you know? Yeah. yeah. There's a playfulness. When you talk about it and how you approach it, there's a playfulness to it. And I can, I've, and I've met others that there's a neuroses to it, right? There's just this like, oh my gosh, man, back, they actually need to back off with the rings and the mm-hmm. tracking and the, you know, because, but it's, it's not well, the behavior, they, they it's the need approach. To back off, they need to change. I would offer, they need to move through the immature mentality that is the deficiency need orientation and just approach it from a higher perspective, mm-hmm. which may or may not be, I agree with you that they need to back off on the you, you know, right. inverted you and come to a healthy place. Well, that's it. the personal development jackass, right? I think you coined that term. You called yeah. me that 10 years ago. So oh, I think, I'm not sure who called who that, but I think we've all been that and yeah. we all can't be that, but that's not, the point is who do we aspire to be? And right. again, I think when the orientation is eudaimonic joy and truly desiring to enjoy this beautiful life of ours. And I'd offer that the more direct path to that is by living virtuously and having inner authority to decide what's truly important to you and being in integrity with that. Um, then is Seneca comes to mind, and I'm sure we've talked about him too. He says, classic Stoic, right? How much better to, to have the discipline to work long enough to get to a point where doing what is best for you is what you most enjoy. That's where we want to get to. And there will be inevitable jackassville and then lazyville. And there's, you know, you toggle like a tightrope walker, mm-hmm. a little bit too far this way, a little bit too far that messy, way, whatever. Yeah. It's part of the, it's messy. It's part of the process. It's part of the play. If you have that orientation. Right. So I would offer, they may If you don't need, need to be not, perfect, it can be fun. Well, and then when you realize you will never be perfect, you have a much higher likelihood of it being fun. Right. And I, I, I just, you know me, I go off on that again and again. There are no perfect human beings. Go back to Maslow. No yeah. perfect human beings. Great human beings. Movers and shakers, he says. Yeah. Never once has there been one perfect human being. Yeah. And you and I won't be the first, is how I always line that up. With that, then we can be what Tal Ben-Shahar calls an optimalist, not a perfectionist. But high standards are important. The science is unequivocal on this. It's not getting rid of the high standards. It's changing your attitude about perfection to optimalism, which means, again, to do the best within the constraints of reality, letting go of this, quote, perfect as a attainable standard, you know? Yeah. How is it being you in your house? Like, is it, does, do Alexandra and you, get, like, is she <laughs> support, like, you guys align in that or is it kind of rub like, oh my God, you know, okay, turn it down or, or yes, yeah, or how do you, how do you guys get along in that way? No, we, we're aligned on a high level with our shared commitment to optimizing. Um, and I'm, we, any couple, again, let's go back to the perfection. Are we a perfect couple? Far from it. My God, no. I mean, we're two strong human beings that are committed to what we want to do and also unstrong when we're unstrong and you mix those two together and you have a lot of fun, right? We're both committed and we both have the same challenge, which is for her, her challenge right now. My challenge is how do I authentically express myself creatively, which you talked about. We talked about a little bit before we went on Mm -hmm. uh, the recording here. And that's a constant struggle for me. Her struggle is she's a mom of two kids who she's really committed to being 
a great mom for him. We're not sending our kids to school. Well, that's a challenge. And how do you integrate that with your creativity? So there's this beautiful spiraling up interconnectedness there. Um, But the challenge remains, how do we support one another in that inner authority discovery? And then having the courage to say, this is important to me. And, yeah. and we need to create an environment in which we can both thrive. And that's a super dynamic process, obviously. Yeah. Especially when you throw one person is hard enough. You throw two people together in a relationship, good luck. And then you throw a kid or two in there and three or four or five, God bless you, who have multiple, that yeah. many kids. You know, it's, it's a crucible. It's a crucible. Yeah. yeah I've appreciated that, Allison. I have always felt, Allison, I have a deep connection on the kind of perennial philosophies and the perennial wisdom. And then we have some pretty different ways that we go about expressing it, but we can give each other a wink like, okay, I see you, right? Whatever makes you stronger, whatever genuinely makes you stronger and has you more expansive and has you more loving in the world, I'm 110% behind it. I don't have to be in it. I don't have to do that thing with you. I don't have to be on that exact path with you, but I am an ally to you mm-hmm. along that. If that's making you stronger, if, if I get a sense that it's not, not making you stronger, I'm going to start asking questions. I'm going to start poking mm-hmm. and prodding, you know, I'm going to challenge. Um, and we both have that commitment to one another. I think where, I think early on there was a thing like, Oh, we've got to be on the same path or it has to look the same. And, the, and the, Oh, if we're not on the exact same thing, then it can be a problem. But, um, I, I appreciate that she and I can go have our own sandboxes and, and support each other in that. But I, I yeah. think, yeah, I love that. And I thank God every day we don't, I don't have two of me. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what I was getting at. Is it like, <laughs> Alexandra, but no, but the intensity, the fire is, is similar. Yeah. Um, and, uh, but yeah, my gosh, I, I, God bless her for living with me. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I worked with Stutz for a while. How is he? How, I haven't talked to him in a while. How's he? How's Phil? I love Phil. Yeah. yeah. Phil's Yoda. He's been great. Cause I know, I know what it was like for me to work with Phil and I'm curious, like how often do you guys talk and, and what, what can you like, what is that process? Is it just like a check-in or is it, cause he, he was like a teacher for me in a lot of ways. Like I was just mm. showing up to school and, mm. and then we would use some of that stuff to get into whatever I was, I was, you know, what was um, privy to my life. But yeah, what's, what's your work like with him? Yeah. And again, I think the, the, I can just feel the difference, you know, and just every dynamic is going to be so different, you know, um, in any coach and, and kind of um, client or whatever you want to call it uh, mode. For me, it's every Monday at 3 p.m. It's every you Monday at 3 p.m. For, for almost three years now. And, you know, I've just it's become for me kind of like my my well, you know, and my um, just a, an affirmation of we have very aligned philosophical views in general and then we also just have a deep, um, you know, he's almost like a spiritual honorary father, you know, kind of dynamic of mm-hmm. just a, a really blessed kind of beautiful dynamic there. Um, and then also like for me, a, a confirmation of some things that I know, you know, but there's that level beyond knowing it's just you never need to question again type of thing that I found to be one of the most robust things I've gotten out of our relationship. What do you of, mean? Like, uh, can you give me an example? hard to put into words, but just like a concept that like, I kind of sort of knew, you know, and I was pretty confident on, and I don't know how to describe it, but you know, if you go to the point where you just literally don't need to question that particular thing again, it's almost like we're talking about the inner critic. You get to a point like being exonerated, for example. So I've known, and you, you know, you read enough and you know that common humanity, we all suffer. And boy, I wish I knew that when I was suffering, you know, and thinking I was the only one. His idea on never being exonerated is a cornerstone of my work now in large part because of, of our work together, 
where it's, he's so unequivocally clear on that. And it moved me from a 9.8 clarity or 9, 9.2, 9.5, 9.8 to just an 11 of, oh, okay. I don't need to, I don't need to wonder about that anymore. That. Yeah. Yeah. And, but there's been a lot of those drop that, you know, yeah. and the, the aggregation and compounding of those has been, um, fun, you know, yeah. and just a, a stabilizing kind of a, uh, coalescing of energy, um, perspective, which has been really rewarding for me. Yeah. I was surprised. And it was one of those things where I was like, yeah, yeah. It's what exoneration is one of those things like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I get it. I know, I know there's no exoneration. And then it was, I caught myself in a conversation with him one day and we were talking, he was like, yeah, that's exoneration. I was like, yeah, that's exoneration. I could hear his voice. And he was like, yeah, yeah that's exoneration. <laughs> and I was like, what? I'm just like, I, I'm doing it. Like I'm, I'm still doing it. It was just that spiral of, I caught myself in it. And this is another little sneaky little thing of like, Oh wow. I thought if I got to this place, it wouldn't be this way thinking, Oh yeah, I've already tackled that. And it was still one of those places. So yeah, it's yeah. just so sneaky. It's just, and it just comes up and I've just let go of like, okay, I'll always be seeking exoneration, even though I know it's not there. Yeah. And I'll just keep finding myself, Wanting it. That's part of the game instead of why yeah, do I yeah, keep yeah. seeking exoneration and just let that yeah. go? Like, it's just going to show up from time to time. Be like, okay, part of like, me still. Un unquestionably. And, and then he would, he would say that if it doesn't, something's wrong. So he, one of his ideas is reverse indicator, right? So he uses the example that, that for example, you can have a story that when something comes up that challenges you or that makes you feel inadequate, you can have that as a data point that is a reflection of, wow, I must be inadequate. He would say, no, 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 that's a reverse indicator. That's not a sign you're on the wrong path, that's a sign you're on the right path. So then rather than avoiding those things and shaming yourself for having that, that inner critic voice come up, you rub your hands together, growth mindset style, and you say, holy shit, I'm on the right path. Bring it this on. This is awesome, bring it on, as he would say. Rule, rule, tool number one, bring it on. And to actually get that viscerally, that our pain sets us free, that the very thing that we've spent our entire lives avoiding is the thing that's going to set us free to go back to your freedom model. And then that inner critic is pain, that's all it is. And if we can step back and see that, we wave at it and then bring it on. And we assimilate that power rather than let it erode our power. And again, to me, that's like playing the video game. You think you're gonna get to a level where it's easy? You're playing the game wrong. It should be getting harder. It should be getting more complex. The dragons get bigger. And, the, and you are gonna get slayed again and again and again, but hopefully you'll have more grace, you'll have more wisdom, you'll have a quicker, resilient bounce back. But the game, the game is not to, quit trying to do such hard things and being upset and go back to level two where it's boring. The game is to play the harder levels with more joy to bring it back to that word. Yeah. I remember I showed up on a call one day with him and I was like, okay, this, I'm going <laughs> to, we're going to tackle this thing. And it was some, I can't remember what the context was. So he's basically like, okay, yeah. So you, you're trying to avoid being hated and misunderstood. And I was like, oh yeah, I guess that's what it is. Like, okay. That's what we want. We want you to be hated. It's <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> just like, Shit, man, what, what did I just get myself into? But it was like, yeah, like imagine the power you have when it's okay to be hated and misunderstood. Like you want to talk about real power. It's not avoiding it. It's just like, how much more powerful would you be if you could die and die and die again? You know, just you know, only the dead survive. Right. So it was just get back up and keep going. I was like, yeah, it sounds good. You know, but that was, that was yeah. the work that became the practice. So but it's yeah. not the, yeah, give me a, give me a cool, easy way out of this thing. That, that wasn't yeah. the work. You know, there's so many ways to pull that thread and I love your little impersonation. That's epic. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
Oh man, I was thinking about. I think when we met, you had shut down Zod's, and you were going in. I, I, I'm curious, like what you would go back and tell that version of yourself, because I think we dude, met when you were in Bali. You dude, had a stack of I books. Could, yeah. It was. I remember I talking to you, and like we we talk on Skype, and I could just hear the rain, yeah. and it was like, all right. So what's that guy? What was he thinking? Like That's what, funny. That guy had to go through every single thing I went through over the last 10, 11 years. Yeah, of course. But I'm winding up at exactly that point. So this is what you and I you know, talked about a little bit. Um, it's super funny. You know, I had gone out. I did that philosopher phase for years, just read, write, and taught. Then I felt, you know, it was actually, I have you to blame because you introduced <laughs> me. I sent you, I sent you Stephen Pressfield's War of Art. You loved it. You interviewed him. Then you introduced me to him. I had breakfast with him and Stephen Pressfield. I'm happily living the philosopher's life. We have a great breakfast. Talk about ancient classic Greek virtue. He asked me if I've ever thought about creating a modern Plato's day, modern day Plato's Academy. And I spent five years getting the question wrong, raised $2 million to go build this thing that I blew up. So if I could go back and talk to the prior version of me, I, you know, I have the same conversation we're having right now, but, and I wouldn't change a thing because you, you, as again, Joseph Campbell, you cannot say no to anything in your life or you unravel the whole thing. I had to go do what you I had did to do that. You had to go to be the CEO. Clarity. So I can't even answer that question, but I've, I've, well, it's not that I've you change to... anything, but just like, what do you appreciate about that guy or what, what didn't he quite get that you got now? Like, it's not that he you would change get anything. The power of, of, um, the opportunity that he had to read, write, teach, and repeat, and to be willing to step out of um, kind of the normal world, if you will, and choose to follow my own inner authority, to use your language, right? And to do things like get out of email, get out of the smartphone, be comfortable with um, <clears throat> a near hermit lifestyle, you know, and just go deep, fully immerse myself in the wisdom and, and create um you know, at a, at a significant level over an extended period of time without, as Stephen Pressfield would say, moving from your calling to a shadow calling. So as we've discussed, I went from, hey, I'm here to read, write, and teach, and I'm also a decent entrepreneur. I'm, I'm dangerously good at that, so I can go raise some money, but it's not what I feel to be my true dharmic calling. And so I had to go through that, and I'm, I'm still cleaning up. I don't want to call it the mess of that, but let's call it the mess of that. It's an ex you had an experiment. Well, and I had the fertilizer, you know, you get data yeah. and you, you use that, that, you know, fertilizer, shall we say, as fuel for the overall growth. Um, but yeah, I would tell that person to appreciate um, the opportunity to do the work that um, I now feel really clearly called to do um, as a lover of wisdom and, and to do it as well as I can, you know, and be a craftsman at that and not, not veer and not uh, chase too many shiny things, but just settle in. Well, and, uh, I, I'm going to I'm going to say I told you so. It, well, I, even though I introduced you to Pressfield, I also challenged you. We were playing golf one day, and I was like, "I want to hear your th I want to hear your teachings." And you were like, "Well," and you've turned it back on me. You're projecting. Yeah, yeah. I remember you turned it back on me. <laughs> but I was like, "No, I can just genuinely want to hear your teachings." And you're like, "No, that, that's your shit. That's you want to be it." <laughs> Do you remember that? We were in Ohio. But it's true. Partially true. To go back to Ken Wilber, so. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's partially you're true. Welcome. You're welcome, and thank you. And okay, yeah. oh, that's too funny. I do vaguely remember very poorly playing golf together. That was well, good. I, yeah, but that was my that was my genuine desire of like, God, this guy. I want this guy to teach. Like, if he's going to go through a thousand books, I want to hear his take on them. Like, run through his filter and what he has to say. And 
and you're doing it. You're rocking it. So yeah. I'm yeah. so glad you are. And, I, and it was such a, I mean, when you did uh, course correct a few years ago and pulled it around, it, I mean, what a response, right? Like it was just, that had to be wonderful just to get that response that yes, people wanted to, you could be that teacher and you could be that guide. Yeah. But again, to go back to the constant, you know, you've got everything going at the same time. There was also the, the kicking myself in the shins of really, mm. I had to go through that to get to this point. Yeah. But again, we, when we n no longer need to be perfect, we can embrace all of this and kind of move through it. Um, and then embrace the, the, the frustration as well. Like that becomes truly the fuel for, um, deeper clarity. And, and as you were saying in your four model, you know, it's like, okay, well, where do I need to do some work? Um, well, but yeah. Do you think you had yeah, always yeah. been looking over your shoulder, though, if you'd gone that route and that there had been a party that's like, oh, what if I'd gone, what if I would have been the CEO guy, you know? I think so, and, which is why I wouldn't say no to it. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, and then, you know, going through that, growing the gray whiskers, this is, I think, just maturation. It's just, it's life. And, and when we can embrace that and quit telling ourselves a story, we should be somewhere other than where we are. Yeah. Um, I think that's where the reservoir of, of true joy can come. And, and But then we're still not done. So then I'm literally in the middle now of, okay, given all of this, what's the right thing to do with, with I still have an investor base, right? And, and kind of resetting that in a way that, that really inspires me and fires me up, that is an integrity, et cetera. Never ending, never ending, constant evolving process. Bring it on, right? Everything's an experiment. It's so painful waiting, trying to be done. I just, if I just look at everything like an experiment, it just helps. It's like, well, let's see. <laughs> and the more experiments, the better. Yeah. yeah to to go just, back to our name. It's when I attach, it's like, here we go. This is going to be it. Oh no. Now I know I'm attached. This, I'm looking for exoneration versus, Hey, let's see where this exactly. goes. And, and then it, yeah. hopefully. Yeah. yeah and the might... power of that to go back to your playfulness, you know, it's a playful experimentation. Yeah. Wow. Let's see. Let's see what happens. All right, brother. I get, Thanks I'm for telling me so. Freaking digging this. Maybe I'll, did, maybe I'll listen I'm to I'm not going to tell you I told you so, but I, I told you so. <laughs> you you want to pin this Pressfield thing on me, but I, <laughs> <laughs> if uh, I'd been there and I was like, yeah, dude, you should do that. I can see it. But, uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's so good, man. Oh, man. Great to connect with you. I appreciate you taking some time. I know that you're coming out of your cave and, and uh, your Hermitville. Appreciate you coming right out. Right on, man. Appreciate you. Thanks for bringing me out. And uh, always great to see you. And we're going to do more of this. So we're going to get you out. So can't wait for your book too. Yeah. If these interviews are helping you, then please visit the new man on iTunes and leave us a positive review so others can discover the show more easily. Thanks for listening.